Welcome, change agents. I'm so glad you're here. This is Cheryl Klein, and you're listening to the Limitless Leader Podcast. Hey there, Cheryl here. It is an extremely special day. I'm so excited to have this conversation with Deborah Curry, director at Yosemite Capital Management, especially because I am, I didn't even tell you this before the interview, I'm in the middle of a 911 financial wellness check. So we are going to have a talk about this and welcome, Deborah. I'm so excited and really grateful that you took some time out of your busy schedule to be here. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm I'm honored to be included in your very stellar list of guests. So I'm I'm looking forward to this. Great. Yeah, that is. Uh, I'm really blessed to speak with you and some of the other uh, female. And I always say a few good men to thought leaders to share some gems of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Before we get into our uh, female financial wellness check. Which you might be thinking, even if you are financially secure and everything seems all good, um, that it might not be necessary or what's the big deal. But it is a big deal regardless of if you're starting out, you're building wealth, or you consider yourself wealthy. So mm-hmm. we're going to jump into that in a moment. Uh, but before that, can you give us a little insight as to how did you get into this you know, not just into finance, but your area of expertise and what was something that either inspired you to greatness as a young person or as a little person Mm -hmm. or what kind of set you back a little bit that made you want to succeed anyway? Mm -hmm. Got it. Um, Well, my dad, you know, everybody talks about their dad, but my dad was the youngest of seven boys. And I'm his oldest child. Okay. So he didn't know. And my mom was an only child. So they were both unprepared for siblings and all that. But my dad didn't know how to treat girls any differently. So we were all treated. There's two two daughters and a son. And uh, when we were kids, one of the things that he, that was very clear is he really loved learning and he loved numbers. Everyone in the family is kind of numbers oriented, which for a girl wasn't typical, still isn't typical. Uh, And when we used to go to restaurants back in the good old days, human beings actually added up the check and had to add it in their head. They didn't often always have an adding machine. They'd have to do it by hand. So he would hand the check to one of us. And if we could find a mistake in the addition we could keep the money. So it was a big day if somebody goofed up by a dollar, right? So math was fun. I mean, it was like a challenge. It was a fun thing. Who knew that math wasn't supposed to be fun? So that started me off in a direction that was non-typical, let's say. And then as I grew up, it became noticeable to me that there were different choices being offered to the boys and the girls. Uh, For example, wood shop for the boys, home ec for the girls. But I was at the time where they were just starting to offer woodshop for girls and home ec for the boys. And I was like, yeah, give me the woodshop. I think that'd be fun. I I was not trying to burn down the patriarchy. I just wanted to do woodshop. So that habit of being encouraged to do whatever you wanted and being treated the same as the boys, if you will, uh, that habit led me to making choices that were atypical. Uh, I was strong in math. I was strong in science. That's not typically a girl's thing. So that's where 
I started realizing that you didn't have to stick to the path. Uh, and he was always very encouraging. Sure, try it. Why not? Sure, try it. So I was working for a bank and it was not my cup of tea, shall we say. And I was, I ended up working for Merrill Lynch and it was a hundred percent commission, which was insane. And it was like, sure, try it. Why not? So that was sort of the background. And uh, it, it comes up often that why did you make these choices? Why not? Just try it. We'll see what happens. So I think that's a great, a great story. And I want to really extract or shine some light on a couple things that you said is that a lot of times, you know, you've probably heard of the McKinsey study that came out that in order for women to try something, we have to check out eight out of 10 boxes, men, three yeah. out of 10, they're more built in, why not try it? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really grateful as I'm sure you are that your dad really um, influenced you in that way. And then also you mentioned, you know, the first thing that you did in a bank wasn't your cup of tea. So also encouraging women too, if something is quote unquote, not your cup of tea, then be okay, try something else because it's a circuitous path to being a high performer and doing in the world what you were meant to do. And it's, oh, yeah. it's okay if you change and it's okay if you're not 100% qualified. So just yes. wanted to point that out. This comes up over and over and over in these interviews with amazing women such as yourself. And so I just wanted to point that out. So, so can you now share before we get into the strategies of really what is a 911 female financial wellness check and why we need to have it? But can you speak a little bit about in your on your ascent in your career in the financial industry? Did it ever go sideways, or did you take a flop, or did you think about quitting, or can, can you? get a little bit vulnerable with us and share any stories that way and maybe how you emerged and kept going? Oh, yeah. So I was working for Merrill Lynch. I grew up in Denver. I was in Denver. I went to school in Santa Barbara. Longer story. We'll get to that maybe. But I was working for Merrill Lynch in Denver. And one of the execs that I worked with, I was newish, got, got assigned to the Newport Beach Merrill Lynch office. And he said to me, Hey, if you want to come out to Newport beach, I'll make room for you. Cause I was at the top of the class, if you will. And I thought, interesting. So I did that. And of course, being a woman, I see this all the time. I was very loyal. I went with Merrill Lynch, even though I'm sorry, Merrill Lynch, but they really screwed me and no guy would have put up with that. But I was so thankful that they would have me not realizing my value to an organization, I should have changed firms. I should have gone to another firm and said, hey. I want to pause you for a second. Yeah. Because what you just said is so important. Mm -hmm. And that is learn. First of all, I appreciate your transparency and your ability to be really vulnerable there, to speak your mind. Mm -hmm. And not just about what you think, but also what not to do and what you did. Oh my God, yeah. If you're listening to this, I want you to really understand your worth. Really oh. understand your worth. So sorry to interrupt. I wanted no, totally fine. But that was, you know, they talk about imposter syndrome and how women, you know, 
<laughs> had I been less concerned about them liking me and being nice to me and oh my gosh, thank you so, so much for making room for me. Uh, I financially would have been so much better off because they did not do right by me when I transferred. And, you know, hindsight, I shouldn't have put up with it once I got here. But again, I just didn't know any better. So it taught me, unfortunately, that, and, and we've all sort of learned these lessons. It's taught me that the company doesn't care about you as much as you care about you. Even though they say, oh, we're a family, we take care of our own. Yeah, no, they don't. No, they don't. Yeah. And there, there might be companies um, where they meet, but, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, let's yeah. just put it that way. Exactly. Um, so, okay. So then, so let's talk a little bit about your passion for the necessity of women having a financial wellness check and mm -hmm. why you're so passionate about this. And then we'll get into, okay, what's the first step? Got it. Okay. So, um, how can I, how can I, I'm just going to tell you a story. Um, so 30 years in this business, I started when I was 10, 30 years in this business. And I had an awakening about uh, six years ago, maybe seven. Now I was talking with a very, very expert attorney, someone who travels the country speaking about her specialty. And we've been friends for a long time. And I knew that her husband was the one who handled all their money. She was not interested. He loved doing it. He would get up and check the morning bell. I mean, he was, he's obsessed. Found out that he'd been in the hospital in a coma. Found out after the fact. How old was he? 50s. 50s. Uh, but. So not old. Not old. Oh, average age of widowhood in the United States is 56 years old. Average age. 50. Wow. Six. I did not know that. 56. So now that oh. I'm, so, I'm 55. Uh, oh, God. Okay. Just saying. Just saying. Uh, but found out from talking with her, I said, oh, my gosh, were you able to take care of? Because I know he has aggressive trades on the books all the time. Like, I don't work with him because he's insane in a good way. But, you know, he loves it. Found out that none of her name was on any of the accounts because he had moved them to E-Trade or TD Ameritrade or one of the trades, Scott Trade, because it was easier for him to deal with them. So that meant that there was no human being who was guiding them, that she couldn't call a person like me and say, hey, um, they, were, they should have been in trust name. They weren't. If he had been in a coma for any length of time or had, God forbid, died, she would have been screwed because she, this is in California probate court. She would have had to manage her practice, deal with her son who would have flipped out. I mean, losing his father, she would have been mourning and she'd have to then go through all the paperwork and get together all the stuff for a probate attorney to go to court and pay a bunch of fees so she could get her hands on her own money. And I thought, oh, that's crazy. So we talked about it. I said, you know about probate, you got to, you know, you got to get those things caught up to date. She said, yes, yes, yes. Here's the key. Six months later, I said to her, so did you guys get that stuff all cleaned up? She said, well, actually, because I hadn't asked for so long, now that I'm asking, 
he's offended and he feels like I'm criticizing him and it ends up being a fight. So that's when the light bulb went on. I thought, oh my God, we are so busy doing our jobs and being leaders and running companies and being lawyers and we're delegating this decision, but really are we abdicating? Because now, anyway, so I realized I have to get ahead of this. I have to get to women before there's a crisis, have to, because there's no reason this can't be handled well if it's handled in advance. So that just lit a fire under me. Um, I had the experience, my husband was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease at 49. My kids were four and six. And I was in a business where I was 100% commission. Super. Uh, and so I've lived that. And I've seen a lot of people who are, who had the same experience. And so it's my mission to help people either unwind that craziness when they've already hit the wall or nudge them into, hey, you need, must, must get a grip on what's going on in your financial life. So, you know, you got to do it. No, it's not necessarily fun. You don't have to love it. You need someone like me, your advisor, me, someone who can help you get through it. You can delegate a lot of this, but you still need to know what's going on. Yeah, definitely. And so what I'm hearing is that this is an educated, successful, very successful, brilliant, smart woman mm -hmm. who this could have just been disaster. And it also created a lot of conflict. So let's yep. just say that I'm thankful that her husband didn't die or didn't. Husband didn't die. Everything turned out fine. But it was a great, honestly, it was a great learning experience for me. But let's it's just say. I just assumed other things and I realized I was wrong. Let's just say, because not everyone's that lucky. So let's just say not in her case, but someone else's case, mm -hmm. the husband dies or the husband decides to marry someone who's 30 or I don't know, whatever happens. Um, so then what happens if they didn't take action? So tell me about the financial fallout. Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, elderly couple. She is the one who's sicker than he is, but he's taking care of her. Caregivers die before the person they're taking care of as often as not because of the stress, interestingly enough. So husband, and these people are in their 80s. So this is a very traditional arrangement, right? So he took care of all the money. Their daughter, who's a friend, said, I'd really like you to just chat with my parents and just do it a, a financial evaluation and make sure everything's set up right. Mom wanted no part of it. Dad was very interested. So, of course, you know where this is going. Dad dies. Mom goes to look at the account at the local brokerage firm, and it's in his single name. Millions of dollars. Now they have a trust and they're married. Shouldn't be a problem, right? A year in probate court and thirty dollars or $40,000 in legal fees to get her money put in her name. And during that time frame, Dad was always transferring money from the dividends out of that account into their checking account. Well, she started running out of money, couldn't get to the brokerage account. Her kids had to start paying her bills. 
until they could get this unwound. That's just one story. And it turned out okay, but it took 18 months and a, a lot of money. It was such a waste. And it was so much stress for the kids. It, it, it just didn't have to be that way. And again, if they were my people, I'd say, I'm sorry, this name, this needs to be in your trust name, period. End, end of story. You're doing it. You don't have a choice. Got to be done. So that's one. Um, so often we find uh, there's a statistic that when women get dumped with the financial reins in a crisis, divorce, somebody dies, somebody has a disease or they're in an accident or what have you, they find a negative situation, a negative surprise more often than not. I think it's two out of three times or three out of four times. And so often what I find is it was a matter of not getting ahead of it. The estate plan isn't updated or they don't have an estate plan and they have to go through probate, which is a standard 18 months in California and a huge probate fee. It's a, it's, I think someone will correct me, but I think it's 5% of the value of the assets. So if you've got a house and you've got a portfolio and, you know, well, not net worth is is an expensive probate fee, and you have to deal with the California courts. And oh, by the way, it's not private. Every every Looney Tune relative of yours can find it, and every friend can find the information. It's there's no reason for it. It's just it can be avoided. Yeah, and not to mention that you lose control of your assets because someone else is figuring out That's what right. what is best for you. Okay, so. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, pardon my French, oh shit. Um, <laughs> if that's 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 me, I, I'm an intelligent person. I'm either just starting out, I've amassed some wealth, or I am wealthy, um, or maybe my parents are in a bind like this. Yeah. What is the first thing? It can be honestly overwhelming. You know, oh, absolutely. Well, how do I be financially responsible? Mm -hmm. Even though I'm a responsible person, but yeah. What, you know, so what would be the first step? So if someone came to you and, you know, is a now you also work with a certain type of client. So why don't you tell me who okay. that client is and, you know, how they can reach you. And if they mm -hmm. don't fit into that demographic where they can find some help. OK, so I'll work backwards. Um, I tell people. I am willing to talk to anyone who's got a financial question. Does that mean they're my ideal client? Absolutely not. But I want to be a resource. And I know tons of people. I have a huge network. And I will know who they need to talk to and can send them to the right place. So I'm happy to do that. I have dealt with people's kids, you know, who want to do certain. And, and I've given them instructions or helped them get to where they need to be. And I'm like, you know what, check in with me in six months. We'll have a 30 minute conversation. We'll, we'll see how you're doing, but they're not going to be a client. The people that I can give the most value to are the ones who have complicated situations. They've got a net worth that's sizable four or $5 million net worth. Uh, they've got uh, real estate and they've got a, a company they own, or they're part of a company that they're a C-level person and they're they're They've got a lot on their plate and handling their money needs to be delegated, but they can't ignore it because it has to be someone who appreciates hiring an expert. If you do your own taxes, A, you probably aren't my client. 
If you need someone to do your taxes because they're complex, you could be my client. Uh, and how do you start? Okay. So I end up talking to a lot of people. I get sent people who are caregivers or their parents are sick. You mentioned parents. And they know nothing about the situation. So the first thing we do is we have a consultation. Complimentary. No, it's Think of it as a diagnosis appointment where we look at where are you? Just tell me everything you know about your money. It doesn't have to be, you know, let's just gather everything together in one big pile and see where you are today. Just see where you are. So what you are starting with is, do you have a statement for all your accounts? You should have a file at the very least with a statement for all your accounts. And yes, I know everything's electronic these days, but once a year, you should have a printout. Um, do you know where your trust is? If you have a trust, if you don't have a trust, do you have a will? Uh, and I give people a checklist. I give them a checklist and say, see if any of these things apply to you. Let's gather all that together. And that's where we start because honestly, I compared to going to the doctor. I can't call the doctor and say, well, I've got this pain and here's what's wrong. I call the doctor and I say, I've got this pain. And you know what they say? They go, well, come on in and we'll do a workup on you and we'll see what it might be. And that's what I'm talking about. We're going to do a finance physical, if you will, and just see where you are. And often what I need to do for them isn't top of the list of priorities. Often it's, you got to update your beneficiaries because you're your, your ex-husband is still your beneficiary. Did you know that? Oh, yeah, I was supposed to change that. Yeah, you want to change that. Or your ex-husband is the one who still has the power to pull the plug on you in your trust. You definitely want to change. That isn't something I can do, but it's something they forgot about. So that's my job is to figure out the priorities by just doing a, an evaluation and helping people get a to-do list. That's first. Yeah. So it sounds like that if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, no, what do I do first? It sounds like <clears throat> gather all of your statements together, go online. If you don't have your passwords, figure out what they are, get them, download a, make a binder mm -hmm. and have a good snapshot of what that is. Assess if you have a trust, um, you have a will and you have all those things mm -hmm. together. Oh, and your tax return. I'm sorry, if you are signing your tax return and you haven't looked through it and you don't understand it, please let me help you walk through that. You're signing it, ladies, gentlemen, whoever's not actually doing it. You need to know what you're signing. I think that's a huge one. Again, we're busy. We're trying to do a million different things, which we are. And just because we are brilliant, smart, running a successful business and living in a big home and driving a nice car, what have you, doesn't mean that we're being um, financially responsible for ourselves. Yeah. So understanding everything that you're signing, including your tax return is so important. Absolutely. And, and it looks, I am really good at what I do, but I am not really good at other things. Um, I am not great at, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try and go online and do my own legal paperwork. I would hire someone because they speak that language and that's part of it. It's not that I'm dumb. It's not that I'm not intelligent or educated. It's everything has a specific language and you really need a translator. Yeah. 
So, well, thanks so much. Just for summarizing for everyone, make sure you have all your statements in one place. Make sure that you, you know, have a trust or a will and you know that everything that you're signing. And so that is a good place to start. If you would like to reach out to Deborah and have a conversation, you can find her at yosemitecapital.com and you'll be able to navigate through there to find Deborah specifically. Deborah, mm -hmm. thank you so much for sharing your stories, your wisdom. And also remember to, you know, if something is in your heart and your gut and you're wondering if you should do it and you're not 100% confident or feel like you're ready, why not? Give it a Absolutely. try and jump in. And that's another important message as well. Deborah, thank you so much. And I really appreciate it sharing your gems of wisdom. And I look forward to following your journey. Thanks, Cheryl.